Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, Sharin Eskandani, the founder of Wholehearted Coaching and the Wholehearted Life Coaching Certification. This podcast is in service of your biggest dreams. We'll talk about mindset, manifestation, mindfulness, and we'll also look at the transformative power of life coaching and being a life coach. If you are ready to create your dream life while living your dream life, then let's do it, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper and get my free weekly journal prompts that are inspired by this episode, sign up for my email list by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in joining one of my transformational courses or you're ready to take the leap and become a wholehearted coach yourself, you can head to wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings. And of course, all this information is also in the show notes. For the month of January, the focus of the podcast is all about purpose. It's about what our purpose is, what it can look like, And it's really about unpacking, letting go of all of this heaviness and overwhelm that we tend to tie to this word purpose. If you've been listening to the series, you will know that we often look for our purpose in all of the wrong places. We look for it in our careers, in the people around us, and really our purpose always exists within us. I kicked off this series with a solo episode. And now I have been interviewing some of my most courageous colleagues who have pivoted and shifted in their lives time and again and are so rooted in their purpose. I'm calling this series Purposeful. And today's interview with Elena Armijo possibly contains my most favorite definition of purpose ever. Elena and I connected many years ago when I had first started wholehearted coaching because a colleague of mine who was an opera singer had reached out to me and said, hey, I know another opera singer who is now a life coach. And honestly, I don't know a lot of y'all. So I think you two should get coffee. We got coffee and we totally hit it off. And you will understand why when you listen to this interview with Elena. Talk about someone who is so rooted in who they are. Elena is doing such incredible work in the world. So one thing you'll notice from these interviews is that everyone that I have interviewed is a life coach. Now, these are folks who never thought that they would become a life coach, but here they are now doing this incredible work, being of service to others in a way that means so much to them. Part of this series, of course, is to talk about purpose, but it's also to demystify who gets to be a coach. Because as long as you want to be a coach, you get to be a coach. And I think also the overarching theme to all of these episodes, all of the interviews, my solo episode, is that love 
you can pivot and shift and change course whenever you want to. It is challenging. It is difficult. It requires so much courage. But there are so many stories of folks who have pivoted and shifted and found so much amazingness on the other side. So I'm hoping that this also resonates with those of you out there who are maybe considering a big life change, whether that's a career change, a personal change, whatever that is for you. The more and more we talk about big life transitions, the more we normalize it. So today's episode with Elena is an incredible episode to listen to because talk about a big life transition, being an opera singer to a life coach, which I know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard my story. But Elena's story is so singular to her and so incredible. So let me read you Elena's bio. Elena Armijo, Master Certified Coach, Founder and CEO of the C-Suite Collective, and Certified Dare to Lead Facilitator, has a strong track record of supporting clients and organizations in creating impact, culture shifts, and leadership development. Her unique ability to identify common patterns while generating new awareness and reinvention leaves clients with the ability to make stronger choices, clear decisions, and powerful steps toward their desired outcomes. Elena Armijo was inspired to become an executive and leadership coach through her work as a professional opera singer. Drawn to work with ambitious top performers like herself, she realized she could bring unique insights to the coaching business after spending many years on the other side of the table. Elena's 10-year career in opera spanned across the globe and included work with many prestigious opera companies, as well as performances at Lincoln Center and Carnegie Hall. I so enjoyed my interview with Elena, and I promise you that it's going to leave you with new insights, new awareness, and I have a feeling you're going to want to take some notes. So without further ado, here is Elena. I am so excited for the wholehearted community to get to know Elena Armijo. We connected through a mutual friend of ours years mm-hmm. ago because both of us were opera singers. I don't want to say the past tense because we were you know, once an opera singer, always an opera always singer. Always an opera singer. <laughs> always an opera singer. <laughs> yes. But then we both kind of transitioned into becoming life coaches. And so our friend was like, you two are literally the only two people who I have known who have done this. And I remember we got a coffee in Midtown and it was just so wonderful to meet you. And since then, this was right before, I feel like the pandemic, both our lives have changed so much, especially yours. So Elena, first, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be with you today. Oh my gosh, I'm probably more excited. So Elena, we'll go into kind of the work you do, but I would love for you to first just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Like, what should we know about you? You should know about me that I am a very creative woman who has her hands in lots of different things. I have never been able to sit still for very long. Um, I'm a manifester. I think that's important in the human design world for those that follow that world. I get a lot of downloads about things I want to do or experience, and then I do them, and then I'm on to the next. And I used to think that that was from a place of trying to find the gold or never being happy. And now at this stage in my life, I just know it's who I am. And so I really 
love that part of myself that gets to have fun in the world and create different things. I'm a, a dog mom. I have a partner who I adore, Aaron. We've been together for eight years and it's been one of the most transformative relationships of my life. Uh, I live in LA. I'm a biracial woman. I grew up in New Mexico originally, which I think is really important to me now looking back because it's such a spiritual place that I knew nothing about when I was growing up. And now when I go back, it uh, brings me back to my roots. So it's, that's a little bit about who I am. Oh my gosh, so much richness in what you just shared. And I love how you started off with kind of your journey toward really accepting your mm -hmm. multi-passionate, creative, you know, interested self. I am similar. And I think a lot of the wholehearted community is similar in that we are so interested in so many things. And it's easy within our society to feel as if we should judge ourselves or be ashamed of that because yes, right. Our society is very much like you do one thing and that's just what you do. So we'll talk more about that. I love that you opened up with that. How would you describe the work that you do? I'm an executive and leadership coach. That's the official title I give myself in the world. But really the work I do is bringing people back to themselves. I feel like I'm in eight or nine conversations a day with people that are incredible from a place of generating what they want, what they remember about themselves, where they want to go, what's in the way. And so I really am the person that creates a fire in you again. And it can be through coaching. It can be through a sales call. It can be through a team call. It can be with my friends. But I really do feel like my work in the world is to show up powerfully and be present with everybody. And that's what I do through coaching. I love that. That's so, that's so beautiful and so powerful. So now tell us the story of how you went from being an opera singer to now this incredible coach and tell us <laughs> any and all parts that feel important. I want to hear it all. These are good questions. The parts that feel important. <laughs> well, I think the thing that's really important to know about me is I was happy singing. I really loved singing. I loved singing on stage. I loved singing with the people that I, that I met along the way and making these beautiful harmonies and shows and diving into a character. Those were some of my favorite moments of my life. And um, I really think that singing for me provided in my 20s and early 30s an initiation to the world. I was from a very small town. So getting to sing everywhere and getting to do my master's in Seattle and come to New York and do the trail of the opera singer there. And then eventually singing all over had me exposed to different types of people that I probably never would have met. And I'm so grateful for that because I, I feel like that has been the foundation of my pivot into coaching. And I think the biggest thing to say about singing is that at the time I was doing it from a completely different place than I am now. And back then it was all about proving my worth to the world. It was getting out of a small town and getting to see the world. And it, I didn't know who I was at the time. And I think that led to a lot of breakdowns in, in the opera world that, you know, that's a coaching word we use, but really it was just a lot of strife and a lot of struggle and loneliness because everything was about what I needed to do to prove myself. So that was through the music and people could feel that, you know, audiences can feel that they, they can tell when you're, when you're up there trying to get something for yourself. And I didn't agree. I just fundamentally didn't agree with the business of opera and the business part of building a music career in that structure. And, you know, and I'm stubborn and I'm strong-willed. So <laughs> there were a lot of times that I would, you know, be very um, antagonistic with a conductor or with other people on stage when I, when I had an opinion. And a lot of that stuff 
just wasn't in my value system. And so I remember singing, I think it was at Syracuse Opera was my last performance, but my official last one as a full-time opera singer. And I remember standing on that stage just thinking, wow, I should be really happy right now. Like I've done a lot in the last 10 years. Most singers I know are very, are trying to get to where I am. Even though I wasn't all the way there, I was, I was definitely on the path where I could see the next 20 or 30 years in the profession. And I remember thinking, I do not enjoy this anymore. Like there's something that's gone. And I was so empty on stage when you were surrounded by so many people like applauding. And that was the moment for me that I was like, okay, something has got to change here because this is not supposed to feel like this, at least not from what my colleagues were telling me. So I went back to New York after that gig and I hired a coach, which that story is a, an interesting story for another day, how I haven't found one or found one, found one in my orbit. Because again, very stubborn and had a lot of opinions about coaching, especially from the Southwest. It was like, no, all this stuff is made up. This is not real. This is not a real profession. <laughs> I worked with this lady for six months. And through that work, I really started to unpeel layers about myself that I didn't know. And there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of grief. There was a lot of really a lot of vulnerable, tender moments around getting honest with myself where I'd never gotten honest before. That was scary work. And I joined a coach training program because I wanted to continue the work. And I thought, you know, as high achievers and performers do, that I could fix myself the quickest if I knew the methodology behind coaching. It was a very singer mentality. <laughs> if I can just get it perfect. And uh, that's the biggest joke, right? Because what I learned is we're always learning and you're never done with your growth. But I fell in love with coaching. So it was a really happy accident that I was in this program and that by month three or four of the training program, I was like, oh, here's something I love as much as music. And I had always looked for something that I loved, like I love music and I never found it. So I was really excited and nervous. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to open a business and I'm going to see what happens. And that was in 2015. And I haven't looked back since. Such a powerful story and lots of like your career in opera very much reflect a lot of what I experienced too. I find like a lot of coaches become coaches because they work with a coach mm -hmm. and it's such a transformative experience that, you know, either whether for you, it was like, oh, I want to learn more about this methodology because I want to focus on me or whether it's like, I want to learn more about this methodology because I think it's just so powerful there is just something about coaching and that spark that it creates within you that it's you're like, I just kind of have to continue with this. Yeah, I have to keep doing it. <laughs> so, okay. I know. And I know you, you told that story so beautifully and like in a beautiful bow, but I kind of want to hear some of the messy parts because that transition from being a singer to being a coach can from the outside look like a really, you're like a singer one day and now you're a coach. Can you explain that process of being like, okay, this is actually what I really want to pursue now? What was that like for you? Well, I'll speak to the mess first. That's It's a really beautiful place to talk about because I hate when people have the impression of me that this is easy or that, that it didn't come without some costs. And it did. I think the first piece that I talk about is from the singer side. There was so much shame and guilt around letting go of a profession I'd worked really my entire life. I mean, you know, you start taking voice lessons in middle school. I'd done it two degrees. I'd really for solid 22 years studied voice. So giving up something like that to me felt really uh, wrong for a long time. And a lot of that was from my cultural background where I learned that if you work hard and you just buckle down and you do the things, you're going to get what you want, which is 
I mean, on some level, true, but we never talked about the cost of it from a heart perspective or from an energetic perspective of how you're spending your time. So I had to really wrestle. And that was ugly. It was an ugly time because there was so much make wrong of myself that why would I give up such a glamorous profession from the outside? But on the inside, I knew it wasn't really like that. And also I had to reckon with a lot of guilt for my soul, to be honest, because I really thought, and I still do, I think singing is a gift. I think music finds you. And the more and more that I talk to creatives and artists and anybody who's really in a creative field, I really believe that spirit works with you and it's a gift. And so then I had to reconcile, I wasn't going to be using my gift the same way. And that was like a whole meltdown with spirit, right? Like, oh, I'm not listening. I'm not using my gifts anymore. I have to let this go. So it's a little bit like a identity crisis, but mixed in with a good helping spoonful of shame and guilt, which also probably was from a little bit of my Catholic upbringing. So that was the messiness on that side. I had to do a lot of internal work there. And then from the business world side, I got to say the transition wasn't as hard as I thought it would be to decode or explain how the transition from singing to coaching was legit, number one. But number two, all of the things I learned as a musician were completely applicable to leaders. And so being in C-suite spaces, to me, it was just a natural flow because I could see all of the ways that I'd used high performance techniques and mentality shifts and deepening into your work and really listening to your intuition on stage. All of those things are things that leaders in, in boardrooms and companies of startups or nonprofits are working on to get back to their authentic selves. So to me, it was a natural transition. Translating that, on the other hand, took slow, patient work to those leaders because, and here's the part that's, that is probably kind of you know not so glamorous to say, or, or many people probably wouldn't admit, but it's a privilege to come from uh, an art form that is so elite in the world or is seen that way, at least in America. And you kind of have some cachet with that. And so, you know, you got to own that part too, right? That singing in the world was like, people hear that and they're like, get stars in their eyes. So I was always really careful to make sure that I knew that that was going to be what I was stepping into and then to be responsible for it, to actually walk the person through like, hey, yes, I did that. And that was exceptional. And here's all the humanity behind it. And when you actually open up and own it from all levels, you'll be amazed at how quickly those leaders connect the dots for themselves. Um, so that's how I approached it. And the quicker I got to owning it all and connecting those dots with people, the quicker the business built. You know, I think with people who want to make a transition or thinking of making a transition, there is that idea of like everything that I've built, it's just been a waste then. And I love hearing stories like this my story as well. Um, and so many other people who have changed careers is that it's not a waste. Once you're in that next thing, you won't realize how many things are applicable and translatable and are so powerful and important. And so I, I love that you said that because I think it's really important for folks to hear who are thinking and making that change. It's definitely not a waste. No, there's so many skills you will pull from any in any profession, really, right? Like, I think the, the gold is in pulling those out and figuring out what they are. And as you say as well, it's the skills and our experiences too, right? Like we have had that experience of being at the top of a field and mm -hmm. being completely unhappy and unfulfilled. And so whether you're an executive, a parent, 
an opera singer, it doesn't matter, right? That yeah. story yeah. is applicable and it's the same kind of quote unquote work mm-hmm. to navigate that. Okay. You know, the conversations we're having are also centered around the idea of purpose. And with purpose, I think, especially when we're thinking of changing careers or changing our lives, it's like that moment where you're like, what? But I thought my purpose was like to be a singer <laughs> and what? And what? A- yeah. So did you have that period of time around like purpose and like really questioning it when you were thinking of changing careers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, st- I think I still question my purpose. <laughs> like every day I'm like, okay, what, what am I doing now? And again, I think that goes back to the the creative in me and the manifester in me that's always like, oh, I have this idea and this idea and this idea. And sometimes if I'm not careful, I get trapped into that old way of thinking that there should be one way. Um, so for me, the way that I define purpose is that anything that is going to be in alignment with your values in the world and the experience you want to be having. I used to think that purpose was very big, you know, because I'm a big soul. I'm a big a big creator. And so I would, I would used to think that if I wasn't doing anything big in the world, like singing on huge stages, that I wasn't sharing my gift or giving all of myself to humanity or living up to the potential that I could be. And all of that was hidden inside proving still, proving my worth. So I really think my purpose now in the world is to get back to me as much as possible throughout the rest of my life. The more that I can belong to myself, the more that I can get clear about my gaps and my uh, limiting beliefs, my greatness, falling in love with the pieces of myself that I still think are not great and actually welcoming them to the table fully. You know, some of this deep inner work, sometimes I get in my head about it because I'm like, man, that sounds so California and woo-woo, which I still have a huge judgment about. <laughs> but but on some level, that's what it is. Like the more that I can get back to me, the more that people around me see it's possible and also can get back to themselves. And then we get back to a culture of, of really belonging to each other, which is what my work is all centered on, uh, belonging and inclusion. So my purpose is to do my work and to be responsible for myself. And if I'm not, then I can actually have the experiences that I want to have in community with other people. Uh, that can manifest in different ways. That could look like, honestly, sometimes I'm like, I wonder when I'm 75, if I would just want to go get you know, a job at the post office <laughs> because I love people. I love talking to people. I'm probably going to be a firecracker as an older woman. And you know, so I have these images of myself, like, could you really put on any hat and would the value system remain the same? And that's a yes for me. So, so I think that's a cool question to be in in inquiry is, if it wasn't about the thing that you're doing in the world and it was attached to your values and the experience, what would you choose? And for me, um, that's been a guiding light the last you know, nine years. Wow. I love that definition so much. And I love the kind of journey to it and what comes from it. That's so, so powerful. And I love that it gives you and other folks who adopt it, which should be everyone, just so much freedom, right? So much freedom Mm -hmm. around what we want to do in the world, how we want to live out those values. And it gives that permission and and that acceptance of as humans, we're constantly changing and evolving. Mm -hmm. And so as should kind of what our life maybe looks like at times. So I would love to hear from you. You know, you talked about how you used to once be a little bit maybe judgmental of Mm -hmm. this multi-creative, multi-interest, multi-passionate part of you. Can you walk us through how you navigated that? 
Yeah. The first step was I really had to unpack my judgment about it. Because one of my favorite things in coaching is working with clients to say, whatever you're judgmental about or righteous about or angry about or sad about, whatever emotion you want to put in that front of that word, it's a direct mirror into you, right? Something going on with you. And you know that. I like to start there. And so when I notice I'm judgmental about something, I go inside and the first question I ask myself is, okay, clearly you have a judgment about this. That's okay. Great. Thanks for letting me know you have some judgments, right? Like I'm telling myself this instead of making myself wrong. Because before it used to look like you're not allowed to have judgments. If you're a nice person in the world, you wouldn't have judgments, right? So all that self-talk, I had to really uh, learn to just say, hey, everything belongs. So let's just let it sit at the table here and let's look at it. So that's the first part is self-soothing and being like, okay, I hear you. I'm here. I'm listening. What you got for me, right? And then the second piece is looking at what I'm really afraid of that I can't own about myself. So when I look at the judgments of creative people in the world, I'm a, there's all kinds of fears that surface underneath that. Like people won't actually be able to tell what I do in the world if I do a hundred things. Or people will think that I'm, that I'm lost or floating in the world or creatives are, you know, just never really centered on anything. Or lately, some of the, the fears that bubble up are you're never going to actually be credible in your profession, which is hilarious because it's I'm nine years in and I'm a master certified. I've got like all the credentials you could possibly get in the coaching world. <laughs> and it's still a conversation of what if the world doesn't recognize me that way? But see, all those voices are still important to know that they're there because in the third step is really going, oh, those aren't true. Remember, those are just our old friends. That's something I've had since I was little. That's something that is always going to be there. And it's not true. Instead, what's the kind of life I'm living in? Am I happy with it? Or am I fulfilled? Or is there something out of alignment with my values that I want to try next? So it really is a process. I make it sound simple and it's not. Those happen over many conversations, those three steps. But if I had to narrow it down, it would be that that sort of walking the path to get to a place of acceptance and soothing the fear so that you can then hear your inner voice. Because by then, it's usually like, oh, okay. So I was just afraid of that. It's not true. I'm also, you know, still tending to fears in the world, but do I still want to move forward with it? And it's usually a yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Then that's what we're going to do. I I love how you like kind of laid it out and also said very honestly, like, this isn't like, (laughs) it happens over the course of like a half hour. Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) It takes some time to go through. But again, like when we can navigate through our fear, then that's when we can really listen to what we actually truly want and what's most important to us and those values and the life that we want to be experiencing, which is really when I think of you and look at the life you've created for yourself, I just, I feel like that has been how you have been leading the way. And so when you get like a download to something new or something different, how do you embrace it? Is it like a heck yeah, right away now? Or is it just kind of like a, okay, wait a second, let's think on this. But when you get that idea of, oh, actually, I think I'm really interested in this and I want to try this. What goes through your mind or what's that journey now for you? Well, there's two ways I think about this. Sometimes the downloads feel mid-level. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say they, they feel mid uh, <laughs> from the younger generations that are teaching me that world, that word. I tend to keep a journal near my desk. And if I have some ideas that just pop through, I'll write them in the journal. And I kind of let them live there just as like one big brainstorming page to see if they rise up again. Because sometimes they'll just be like a fleeting thought. And then when I go back a week later and I look at it, I'm like, nah, I don't really want to do that. That's just, that was just an idea. And, And I've had to really learn as a creative over time to discern 
what are distractions and what are actually the real the real downloads, right? Which is really really tricky sometimes if you're not if you're not building that muscle. So the ones that are true tend to be this is going to sound crazy, but it, it really is a, a very visual, strong picture. So when I had a download for the C-Suite Collective, right, to be a founder of that, it was like an entire movie screen was present in my head. And it was playing all of the things that I saw, like the conversations we'd have, the clients we'd serve, um, the name, all of that was all right there, like as if I was sitting and watching a movie happen. And then the other piece of this is, in times like that, my body usually gets scared because it's a big, big thing, right? Like it's usually the downloads are like something you should do or you're really called to do, but you're terrified of. <laughs> so then you're you're trying to talk yourself out of it in all the ways. And I got a download for the C-Suite Collective probably three years before I launched it. Three or four years I sat on that, right? So the other thing I want to say for creatives is you don't have to activate all these things, even if you know they're true and you know you're going to do them. You can still give yourself all the time in the world in the space. And I really needed that for the C-Suite Collective. I needed to work up my courage to launch something that big. That took about three years. And we launched that two years ago. So now, you know, we're five years out from this massive download that I had in an airport on a napkin one day, right? So I think I like to give myself a lot of time and space. I will say that my body can feel the difference between distractions now and what's really real because the fear level goes up exponentially. which tells me, oh, that's probably it then if you're that afraid of it. Just simply because I know myself pretty well and that's how my nervous system reacts to possibility. So um, that's what it looks like. Uh, More often than not, out of all my crazy ideas, I probably act on, like for every 10 ideas, I probably act on two, if I'm being really honest, right? I just let them simmer. It feels like I let them simmer in a cooking pot or something. (laughs) That's such great advice. You know, I think right now in the world of in the world that we're in, it almost feels like you have to quit one day and do the next thing the next day. And I think that advice of just giving yourself time to simmer, give yourself time to think about it. However, also honoring the fear, but not giving into the fear. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, and you do that so beautifully and you name that, like, it's actually going to be quite scary. And I a hundred percent agree. The more something is aligned and is meant for me, the higher the level <laughs> the of, fear. Yeah. of fear. And it's such a terrible equation, but like, it's like the, the amount you want to do something is the amount of fear you'll experience. And I think a lot of folks, when they sense fear, they think it's like a warning sign, like yield, do mm. not go down this road. But the more and more you do these things that put you in that space of fear, you realize, oh, this fear is actually not the same fear as like going down a scary road. This is the fear that's like, actually, this could change your life. This is going to take some work, but this is leading you towards something that's really quite incredible. So thank you for naming. Y'all, are you taking notes for this episode? (laughs) I hope you are. Okay. Elena's dropping gems here. Okay. So my final question before you, you know, tell folks where they can find you and all of that wonderful information what would you say to someone who is thinking of making a big change or transition? What would you say to them? Be gentle with yourself. That's what I would say. As we've spoken about today, there's going to be a lot of things that come up. There's going to be a lot of roadblocks, a lot of fear, a lot of moments where you have clarity and you take one step forward and you don't have to make it so black and white. I think in my head, I wanted it to be black and white. 
And if I look at every transition or pivot I've made from singing into a coach, into the coach training program, into a business, into a second business, they have all, it's like one big rolling wave. And there has never been a very explicit break where it was a harsh, clear cut for me. And that's just my journey. It doesn't have to go that way. But I I noticed that if I hadn't been gentle with myself in that process, I might not have chosen some of those things. Because if I stuck to the rigidity around it needing to be black and white or needing to have all the things handled or needing fear to be in check or go away, I most likely wouldn't have moved. So be gentle and step forward. And, and the other thing I'd say is I always say to anybody, and you know this, is get some support. I did not do this alone. There's nothing about my journey at any point that I did alone. I had help. I had support. I sought people out. Even when I had $5 to my name, I called friends. So, you know, the more that you can create your community of support in whatever ways it looks like, that was essential to me. So wonderful, Elena. So wonderful. Where can folks find you? You can find me in a lot of places. So my website, elenaarmijo.com. That's my private one. The c-suitecollective.com is the company one. And uh, the podcast, The Collective Corner. Uh, you can hear some episodes there if you want to come and jam out there. Those are probably the easiest ways. I really recommend the podcast. I also really recommend your email list. You send emails mm. like once every few weeks. Very, very short ones because I ain't got time for that. Nobody does. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> gems of emails. They're so, so mm. wonderful. So it's definitely something you'll want in your inbox. And it's it's not like you're, you know, like emailing people every day. So yeah, I also, I also <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> Well, Alina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for being so generous with your experience and all of that wonderful advice. I know that this community just got so much from this conversation, as did I. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser, or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.